Oftentimes, it's better to start with creativity to help you learn the facts. Life is too short to learn a, a list of a thousand rando words. From the campus of Stanford University, this is Schools In with your hosts, Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. Welcome to Schools In. I'm Denise Pope, Senior Lecturer with the Graduate School of Education here at Stanford, and I'm with my co-host, Dan Schwartz, Dean of the Graduate School of Education. I should say that this is being taped during COVID-19. We are social distancing, so I am at my house, so is Dan, and our guest will be on Zoom joining us as well. Denise must have a million questions about COVID, Pope. (laughs) I do have a million questions about COVID. Doesn't everybody have a million questions? Yes, yes, we all do. (laughs) Uh, So what what do you wish you knew about uh, children in COVID-19? Oh my gosh. So much, right? I, w- I, I wish I knew enough to be able to calm everyone down about sending their kids to schools or uh, tell people don't do it. And I don't think we, we know enough. I'm really glad we're going to have a guest on who knows more than me. Um, uh, in particular, this is, re- I mean, truthfully, this is really what I want to know because in, in California, there's a mask mandate and pretty much the people I see all around me are wearing masks. Sometimes they have them below their nose. Sometimes they're not really wearing them properly. But for the most part, I'm not having arguments with people at grocery stores about mask wearing. Um, I don't know that kids can can keep them on and will keep them on and, and wear them correctly. But I just really want to know when you're inside how COVID-19 passes through the air. Because right now my go-to is wear a mask, be outside, socially distance. And I am very rarely inside. If I'm inside, I'm shopping, boom, 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 and I'm out of there. So that's really what I want to know. So do you, do you imagine like particles floating in the air? You can sort of see them fluorescing? No, I do. I do. I do. Because there was early on, there was this video. I don't know if you've seen it of this woman who was trying to show how germs spread. It was before we knew that um, the contagion by your hands and by touching things wasn't maybe, maybe as bad as we thought. I'm going to ask our our guest that too. But so she did this thing with blue paint and she touched blue paint and then she went all around her house and, and, you know, maybe if you didn't wash your hands properly, there was blue paint on everything to show where the germs were. So now instead of the touching, I see blue dots all (laughs) all over the air, you know, like, are we just breathing this all the time? So do you imagine uh, if you could see it, it looks like a fog or does it look like dust motes? Uh, It's uh, for me, it's the dust. It's like when the the sunlight is coming in uh, near your kitchen table. And I think I'm just walking through all that. And is my (laughs) mask, which is just a little, you know, I, nothing fancy. I just bought it online, but it's just, you know, cotton or whatever. Is that really doing the job? Do I need to put a filter in? There's so many things that I just, unanswered questions. So my, my question is simpler. It, it's, uh, do we still need the yellow tape on the little kids' playgrounds? Oh. Now, that's been up since March. The parents and kids are all around the playground intermingling, but they're not allowed on the slide. And, and I heard surface transmission is low. So do we really need it? Or have people just forgotten to take it down? Meanwhile, yeah. they're busy opening bars. You know, I, I, uh, right. right. I, I, I need the answer to this question. All right. The one thing we do know is when you look at those pictures and there's about a million people and none of them are wearing masks and they're all shoulder to shoulder, that I think is pretty obvious, except to the people there, that that is a no-no. But everything else, it's kind of up in the air. Okay. Okay. So uh, we're, we've got to get to our guest. Who's the, yes. Who is the expert? Uh, this is Dr. Bonnie Maldonado. Uh, she is everywhere all the time. 
She's in the press. She's on every important panel. She's the Senior Associate Dean for Faculty Development and Diversity, and she's the Professor-in-Chief of the Pediatric Division of Infectious Diseases. So we, we've got the right guest. And she's, she's the authority on children and the coronavirus. So welcome, Bonnie. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. So let, let me start with an easy question. Uh, do you also have nightmares that you're in a crowded room with people who have the coronavirus and they're not wearing masks? Because I, everybody I know has this nightmare. I'll tell you, yesterday I spent my whole day treating sick people with COVID, and I actually had a great time. I really felt uh, safe, and I felt like I was getting a chance to help people, and they were really ex excited to be there and happy that somebody was paying attention to them and just wow. getting to know them. So I actually came home, and I was in a really great mood because I felt like I had helped people. And, and part of it is because we've tested so many people at the hospital. We've tested over 100,000 people, and we haven't seen transmissions occur unless people haven't been wearing masks. So I feel like we at least in our little bubble where everybody, mostly everybody follows the rules. We just, uh, we, we haven't seen those outliers where, you know, you don't know how the person got infected. So um, I think part of it is because, you, you know, I'm around it and I see, well, at the, at the beginning, yeah, I was worried, but now I see that, you know, after thousands and thousands of people that we're just not, you know, the virus is following certain rules and it reminds me of HIV days when I used to have to come in every morning and tell the nurses, it's okay to take care of this baby. They're not going to, you're not going to get it from the air or from a mosquito or, you know, whatever else thing that they thought. And because we, we've seen the pattern. So, but you have to have time to see a pattern to feel comfortable with it. Right. Right. So Denise, just, have you had that dream? Oh, I, I have COVID dreams. Yes. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm sort of an anxious person when it comes to germs anyway. Um, and so this is just feeding into my anxiety, but, but hearing doctors say what Dr. Maldonado just said makes me feel better. Right. So as soon as they come on and say, you know, we would see it all over the hospital if we didn't know how to prevent it. So here's my question to you. Do I need the hospital level PPE to feel as comfortable as you do? Well, so that's the second part of the question, and it's about looking at what's going on in the community, right? So we look around and see who's getting tested. I've been talking to the patients, and they always, almost always have a real source. Mm. Um, it's very rare, and this is what happened again with HIV days, because I was around during that epidemic when it started, and uh, everyone had risk factors. They just wouldn't tell you what their risk factor was, because there was a more of stigma, right? But I had to go in and investigate people who didn't have risk factors. And when I talked to them, they would say, listen, here's my factor, but I don't tell anybody. So I said, okay, God, I can check you off my list. And I would, you know, but here in, in when you're interviewing patients, they're usually pretty um, embarrassed to talk about it, but they'll tell you what their risk factors. Like I, I, the guy I talked to yesterday said, you know, we did go travel to see family and I thought I was being careful. And, you know, people will say, but, you know, I'm a doctor. I hear these stories and half the time, most of the time people tell the truth, but a lot of times people feel bad and they're not going to tell you the whole truth. I mean, the numbers tell me the truth. So they'll say, I didn't do anything that, you know, but it's, and unfortunately it's impossible to not do anything. You have to take the mask off at some point, right? You have to eat at some point or drink at some point. So, uh, 
you know, when we, it's rare to see those, that one weird case that was all by themselves in a bunker for a month and got sick, you know, that has not happened yet. So, um, I think that it's about drop, you know, my view, I, what I used to see are droplets. <laughs> I do you see droplets. Yeah. Droplets. Mm-hmm. Are they big droplets or are they little <laughs> droplets? That's what I want to know. How close you are to the droplet and how yeah. much you have between you and the droplet. Mm. So, Bonnie, uh, what is the story with yellow tape on kids' playgrounds? It, it's been I there. Call, I call them thought control markers. Mm. Thought, <laughs> thought control thought markers. Thought control markers. Uh, one of my attendings when I was a Stanford medical student used to show me x-rays and he'd say, Here's the thought control mark, and it would be the arrow showing you the, the big lesion in the chest x-ray, because you obviously as a student, you would miss it. But a thought control marker is, to me, I mean, I'm sure the psychologists have a better way to put it, but it just reminds people that you shouldn't just be sitting hanging around. But um, I think if we didn't have any of that, I mean, look at the behavior you're seeing now. If you didn't have any of that, it would be worse. On the other hand, I guess you could argue, as Dan may be arguing, that after a while, people just, you know, you just become immune to you just become immune to all the safety signals around you. Well, my, my, my concern is that uh, kids have become an afterthought, right? That, that we're, we sort of put in these precautions and we're kind of not updating. And this, this relates to question. The arguments I hear for opening school generally don't have much to do with education. They have to do with the economy, maybe mental health. You know, the pediatricians are focusing on mental health. Well, I did. I was uh, involved with a webinar uh, from uh, the Matthew Foundation recently, and they have a down. They focus on Down syndrome, and they are extremely concerned about children, the special needs children, and their ability to uh, get stimulation. And I do worry. You know, the American Academy of Pediatrics um, came out with a statement, and unfortunately, it t- was timed with a political statement. It was not done on purpose. That we had been working on that statement for a while. And, um, and there was also time, unfortunately, around the same time as the second part of the surge. Um, but it, there's, there are so many data and studies showing that children really are not doing well with this, um, with this distance learning. It's just not ready for prime time. I was listening to the news last night and they were talking about um, one hour, maybe one hour of online learning for children. And I saw all these African-American families being interviewed saying, look, one hour is better than nothing. And I'm thinking, these are the kids who probably, you know, inner city kids, I mean, they really need this kind of help because other families are going to be able to hire a tutor or do other stuff. And I, I just think there's so many disparities. At the same time, we have to worry about health, health risks, which we can talk about later. This is Schools In with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz. We are talking with Dr. Bonnie Maldonado, who's chair of the Infectious Diseases for Pediatrics at Stanford. And and I, I hear you, Bonnie. I know some people might not know that the American Pediatric Association came out heavily in favor of opening schools in, in some way. Is that a fair characterization? Well, what we said was we 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 wanted to start the thinking of it as let's assume that we can get kids, let, let's make sure we think that children can get back to school as soon as it's safe to do so. So the default should be, how can we get kids back to school safely? Now, if you have a prevalence uh, infection rate of seven, eight, nine, ten 10% in your community, that's probably not a safe way to go. 
but you can at least start the process of thinking how to move in that direction. Some of the school districts, for example, don't have great online distance. I mean, I don't know what they've been doing all summer. I mean, obviously I'm not a teacher or a district, but do they not have a, some of them don't have a plan yet for on, online or distance learning. And um, I think they, we could have been more prepared for that and then, and, or at least start preparing now for online curricula while we're starting to then plan for how to bring teachers back and then stage children back over time. I mean, it has to be a thought process, whether it happens tomorrow uh, in October or in January or beyond, there needs to at least be some kind of planning in place so that people don't get, you know, blindsided and say, oh, now, now I have to go back tomorrow and I don't, we don't have a plan. And that, that, I don't think that's acceptable. So there, there's been a lot of scrambling over the summer. To make, to make sure kids have access. It's not great. You know, some, some involves putting a bus in a parking lot and the bus is the sort of the wireless signal. Part, part of the challenge has been nobody kind of knows what it's going to be. So they sort of have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and everybody's kind of waiting. Sure. This is Schools In with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz, and we're talking with Bonnie Maldonado, a doctor who's chair of the Infectious Diseases for Pediatrics here at Stanford. And, and I, you're actually making a really nice point about how old are they uh, and how much do they weigh? Because I do think there's a very big difference, even if we know just mask wearing, let's just take mask wearing, right? Uh, a two-year-old, I, I've, I've gone around and seen some parents with little, little kids with masks on, pretty impressed that they got that kid to leave it on actually. But you're a teacher with 12, 15, 20 kids in a classroom, let's say if you're, if they're actually doing half, half or, or social distancing, um, there's a, a comedian who does a, a little skit on what you're really going to learn in a first grade classroom. And it's like, hey, put your mask back on. Oh, don't put your mask, you know, don't take your friend's mask. Oh, give me back my mask. Okay, where are the masks? You know, so uh, wh what have you seen? Because when they come in to see you, obviously they have masks on. How can little kids wear masks? What are some tricks of the trade? Well, you know, I actually have to say that um, we, I had a little bit of a disagreement with the American Academy of Pediatrics because I, I, in our hospital, I'm also the head of infection control for the children's hospital, and we don't use masks for kids under six. They're not going to leave them on. And if they, even if they do, they're going to stick their hands underneath and poke their nose and what we know. So there you go. I think that kids over 10, for a lot of reasons, first of all, the epidemiology suggests that they're more at risk for transmitting than little kids for whatever reason we don't understand. But 10-year-olds should be able to figure it out, right? By then they're in you know, third or fourth grade. They should be able to understand that. Um, uh, little kids under 10, I just think it depends on the child. So I have friends who say, oh yeah, my four-year-old, he can wear his mask all day and he has learned. But I, I suspect that, you know, it really depends on the bandwidth of the child and the bandwidth of the family member. Uh, but in the hospital, we don't assume that a child under 10 will wear a mask or that they will wear it properly. Um, I'll, that's why the disagreement was because the American Academy of Pediatrics went with the CDC guidelines, which said anybody over two. I don't know where they got that data. Um, I uh, think it's a problem because, sure, it's great to try and do that, but it doesn't guarantee that that child is actually not going to transmit. But maybe it's better than nothing, I guess. I don't know. So, um, if, I, if I were a parent and I had to decide whether to send my child back to school and my child's in first grade, I would assume that there will be no masks and no social distancing. And, yeah, and I think that, I think that uh, it depends on the school. If you're a small school, a private school, you can really stage it and 
uh, you have enough room to create pods, then I think you would have some degree of social distancing as long as the teachers are wearing masks um, and there's lots of hand sanitizer and somebody can keep an eye on that, then I think that would be okay. Um, but yeah, little, little smaller children may be more difficult to um, deal with. But I, I have seen these new, uh, and all of you watch the news, these face shields the kids are wearing, and they're not uh, foolproof. Obviously, a face shield doesn't prevent anything from coming in underneath the face shield. But by and large, a face shield is better than nothing. And the face shields are pr actually pretty easy to use. You just, they're just like a little Velcro strap around the top of your head. Um, but, yes, you know, this is, isn't the face shield to protect the children from the teacher, not to protect the teacher from the children? Well, it's actually to keep droplets from anybody. So, you know, it just keeps droplets from inside the face shield and maybe keeps droplets from coming into the kids. So we don't, the problem is we don't really know. They haven't been studied. So um, actually there was one study that was a systematic review of several studies looking at what's best to protect against infection. And it's not a great study, partially because there just aren't enough papers out there, but what they found was the best predictor of low, lower risk of infection, and this was not for children, this was all ages, mostly adults, was distancing. Mm. So the first, and it was one meter, which is good because that's three feet. So anything beyond three feet actually works well. Um, of course, if you're at six feet and somebody, you know, has a tremendous sneeze, you're still, you know, going to get something. The other thing about kids is they don't generate the same degree of intrathoracic pressure. We know that because we see, we don't see TB transmitted from children generally, because they just can't generate that force to expel droplets or aerosols. So that may be another, um, that may be another uh, factor around children not transmitting uh, from one to another, they just can't expel. But they do; have, they are covered in secretion, so that's the other problem. They have to make sure you just keep them cleaned down. Yeah, I will say as a mom, anyone who's ever seen a uh, child do a projectile vomit knows that there's <laughs> definitely some way to expel when you're really little. But I hear you. I hear you, Dr. Maldonado. Uh, this is Schools In with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz. We will have more uh, with sort of the, the facts around kids and COVID-19 with Dr. Bonnie Maldonado next on SiriusXM. This is Schools In. I'm not an expert at this. Okay. I'm more expert than you. When you can't read in American society, you are really left out. With Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope from the campus of Stanford University. Welcome back to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We are talking with Dr. Bonnie Maldonado, who's the chair of infectious diseases for pediatrics here at Stanford University. So, Bonnie, I've heard that uh, you, as you think about opening schools, you need to pay attention to sort of what's the rate of infection in the community. What, why is that? Well, um, so essentially what will happen is children are going to be a ref schools, and this doesn't matter what age, whether it's a university or a K through eight or a high school, there, the uh, infection, in, the risk of infection in the school is going to be directly related and proportional to the community risk because the children are getting infected. It's pretty clear they're getting infected at home from family members who go out to work because that's really the only place they can get it. So whatever they're, whatever happens in the school will be brought in by the children. And so if you have an uncontrolled uh, surge in your community, it's going to be really hard to control that coming into the school. 
um, unless you do testing on everybody all the time, and we just don't have the capacity to do that. So, and you can't depend on symptoms either. We're assuming people stay home because there will be asymptomatic disease and that can move around. So you really wanna have a stable uh, rate of infection in the community, preferably slowing down before and you start bringing people back. This is on the assumption that kids can transmit it. Well, I'm pretty sure kids can transmit it. The question is, do they transmit more or less than adults? And um, it's not clear to me uh, uh, that children transmit more than adults and it's possible that kids transmit less than adults. Um, and the data seem to indicate that right now, but you know, we don't understand why that might be. I, there are many theories out there, biological as well as just behavioral, but, um, but, but it just does seem like adults are more likely to transmit. And older kids are definitely more likely to transmit than younger children. And they may trans, older children may transmit just as, as easily as adults do. So if I'm a parent and I have a kid with a runny nose or maybe complaining a little bit of a sore throat, maybe they have a low-grade fever, what is the first thing I should do? What's the second thing I should do? Uh, should I be panicking? Well, I think in general, no, whether it's in COVID time or non-COVID time, nobody should ever send their child to school sick. Um, and I totally get that. I have three kids. They're all grown up now. But I remember thinking, oof, is this enough for them to stay home or should I send them? Um, is this going to be this tickle in the back of the throat that's going to turn into a fever at school or are they just faking it? But I think we kind of know our kids well enough. If they're, if they're feeling sick right now, uh, I would keep them home. And then the next question would be call your provider and find out if they should be tested or not. And then when the flu season comes, we're going to need to think about that. In fact, as you may know, some school districts are mandating flu vaccination for all their teachers and all their staff because of the risk of flu overlaying on top of a COVID pandemic. Is, is that the reason? I was thinking it was, it might be so if someone has flu-like symptoms, you know it's COVID instead of the flu. Well, you know, the flu vaccines are never 100% effective, so it just minimizes the risk. Mm -hmm. So, plus, you know, every year we have thousands of hospitalizations and deaths just from flu alone. So the concern is that can we handle two pandemics at the same time? Mm -hmm. So uh, even adults say this to me, someone coughs, someone sniffles, and they just say, oh, don't worry, it's allergies. And I know I have kids who definitely have allergies. So how do you distinguish, you know, and I would send them to school in allergy season knowing that that's what it was. This was pre-COVID. How do you distinguish that? You can't. So um, that's a problem. Uh, I think uh, that's where there's a judgment call. So if somebody has been, had allergic symptoms before and they look similar, I, I can tell you that we've had a number of kids hospitalized with mild COVID who, or, and adults and in particular adults who said, you know, I just thought it was my asthma acting up or my hay fever acting up. So it can start that way. The problem is then what happens is after about 12 hours, then you spike a fever and you feel really sick. So, you know, if it does start off as allergies and you you know your child well enough to know whether that's happening, um, that, that I suppose might be okay. Um, just realizing that you need to monitor them over the next 12 hours or so, because that's when they might start developing other symptoms, such as, um, you know, a low-grade fever or a cough, things like that. Now, the problem is with young kids, as I mentioned, they may, may, may be more likely to be asymptomatic 
or just have very mild symptoms. This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We're talking with Dr. Bonnie Maldonado about kids and COVID-19. And I, I have a question. What if I get that call that every parent fears, which is that, you know, little Sally in first grade has been exposed to COVID-19 or has tested positive and, and your kid is in that same classroom? What should a parent do then? Yeah, so first of all, hopefully the schools aren't saying names because you're not supposed to tell anybody who else is infected. They, you know, like you've seen the scarlet fever, strep throat, chicken pox sign. It just says somebody in your class has been infected. And so what I would do then is um, uh, if the child, um, this, you should, there should probably be some guidance around how close was, if this was a real contact versus somebody in the school so if it was somebody in eighth grade and your child's in kindergarten and they didn't have any contact, then um, you would probably want more information from the school to make sure they said, you be much more granular. So your child may have been in contact with this other child. Then at that point, um, it, usually what, what happens is you don't want to get a test the day of exposure or the, even the next day. You generally want to wait three to five days because there's a very high risk that your test will be negative, even if you were infected. So generally we recommend people wait about three to five days after exposure before they get a test to see if they were infected. So I've heard viral load, and I'm not quite sure what that means. Uh, does it mean if there's a, if I will get infected if lots of it gets in me? as opposed to I won't get infected if just like one COVID droplet gets in me? We don't know the answer to that. So it turns out that there are some diseases uh, like cholera, for example, where you can have exposure to lots and lots of cholera bacteria and not get sick. You can be colonized, but not sick. There are other diseases, other bacterial diseases, for example, where only one to 10 bacterial particles will make you pretty sick. So we don't know that yet for COVID. And, and one of the interesting studies that was recently done was a study showing that children, and it's one study only, that uh, children, young children had much higher, vi and viral load, by the way, is how much virus per unit you have measured. So uh, we don't really know what that means yet in terms of infectivity. I mean, you would assume that the more virus you have, the more infectious you are, but we don't know that that's true because there are studies now, uh, once they're showing that children, young children may have much higher levels of virus in their nose and throat than adults and older children do, and yet we're still not seeing more in infectivity. So we don't know what that means yet. Um, we're still trying to figure all that out. So that's a good question for which we, oh, one yeah. more thing that we can try yeah, to yeah. study in the lab. The other thing is the, the way we measure viral load measures um, the one strand of the virus. It doesn't actually measure replicating or, or, or live virus. So we have new assays that we're trying to develop now that could actually measure live virus. And those are just being validated now. So it might be help, more helpful for us to know if there's real live virus there versus just what the PCR is picking up. Which is just, just like particles of a virus. Right, just genes, right. We, yeah, we yeah. don't know what that is. Thank you so much for being here uh, and informing us today. And thank all of you for listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. If you missed any of this episode, listen anytime on demand with the SiriusXM app and anywhere you listen to podcasts. 
From the campus of Stanford University, this has been Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope on Sirius XM Business Radio. If you missed any of it, listen on demand, online, or with the Sirius XM app.